0: As men, we can become preoccupied with financial success. I've certainly felt that at times myself. But the team and I have designed a quiz that's going to help you improve your intentions to achieve better results for your career and business. And there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode, but for now, enjoy listening. It was pretty blood curdling. I felt it in my bones like, this is difficult now.
1: It's difficult to resist.
0: Welcome to Stories of Men Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. There's lots of things in life that we don't want to do, but we know it's for the best. Washing the dishes, filling up the car before a long journey, or even getting up at a reasonable time in the morning. Mark's brother Martin. Knew there was something he had to do, but didn't have the self discipline to hold himself accountable for. So, what did he do? He enticed Mark to force him to do it.
1: We're in some shithole student apartment here that like stinks. It's like rat infested, it's like the worst you can possibly imagine, like literally, like crack down the middle of the cement brick. I'm on one side of the door in the corridor and my brother is on the other side of that door and he's been in there for about 72 hours. It's starting to really smell in there. Like he, you can hear he's literally like having a mental breakdown in there, apart from a desk. I think we gave him like a bucket to do his business in and a microwave, 20 sausage rolls and, and a like bottle of ketchup. At this point, Martin, he's been through every stage of, like, the, the cycle of grief and madness. Like, this was like an exorcism. It was like, it's a, you know, what would happen is it'd be like, please, man, please, man. And then when he realized that wasn't working, he'd go straight to, like, hyper-aggression and kick in the door, and I'm fuck you up. It was like, bro, let me out. Bro, this is not a joke now. I need to get out, and I'm not feeling well. Then it started to be like, like, please let me out like screaming asking for other housemates like dan kev it was pretty blood curdling i felt it in my bones like this is difficult now it's difficult to resist the urge to actually just open this door it wasn't when he was angry with me and it wasn't when he was trying to manipulate me that i wanted to let him out it was when i could just hear him just just like he was just losing his mind. Like, at this point, it's like, it's gone from the head to the heart, and I'm thinking, like, he's just sobbing on the other side of this door. I've got to let him out. I remember, like, putting my hands in my pocket, like, feeling the keys, like, finding the right key, about to stick it into the lock. That poor fucker must have heard the key kind of literally touching the lock, and then I just paused and thought, like, no. Ultimately, there was one version of him that knew that the best possible thing that could happen is for him to stay in that room. There's a deeper mission here. So literally I'm sitting like cross-legged outside the door with my back to the wall. I'm actually kind of dozing off. And then I just hear like the rustling of a paper, a bit of paper come under the door. And it's like part one, right? and, it, and and literally another bit of paper. And I'm like, he's, he's doing it. He's actually producing in there. And these bits of paper, just start appearing under the door. And I took a bit of time, like I remember going upstairs, like I remember eating a bit of toast and just reading it and being like, this is really, really good. You know what was amazing? Because he was writing about contracting with yourself and he was literally at that moment, locked in a room under contract with himself and forced by me, because I wouldn't let him out. He was literally embodying everything that there is to say about that theory. It was like, wow. And I came down and I said, bro, I think you've done it. I think you've done it. And then I just said, yeah, I'm opening the door now, bro, step back. He was in there for 73 and a half hours. Honestly, I was half expecting him to run at me and give me a massive smack. This will forever haunt me. I just remember him just beaming, like smiling, and just giving me the biggest hug and saying, I love you so much. Thank you, thank you for doing that. He delivered this essay, this dissertation and got a full scholarship to Harvard.
0: What an interesting form of accountability I don't think I've ever heard anything like that in my life. What I will say at university, there were rumours about a guy that I kind of knew who'd locked himself in his room, self-enforced, and I think he might have kept himself in there for about a day and a half, but not something that was enforced by a brother or someone else. It was their own free will. This was completely different.
1: Yeah, it's it's mental, right? Because it, it upends everything that I would say I'm a pretty committed liberal right? Like, uh, you know, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer. I think I understand like liberalism as an idea. I think it's a good idea, but you got to remember that all of liberalism is based on the idea that you don't do anyone any harm and that's fine. Right. But you let other people harm themselves. That's no problem. So you want to order, you know, it's 4am. You want to order another bottle of vodka, prostitute, a bag of Coke and 150 cigarettes to your house. You can do that effortlessly with two different apps, you know, And so we're frictionlessly, because capitalism and liberalism come together to give you everything you want all the time, as long as you don't hurt anyone, that is a big problem, actually. If you have a self-control issue, which all of us do, and we don't like to admit it, like, well, you're frictionlessly able to fuck yourself over, but you're not able to put friction back into the system to stop yourself. In the old days, if you were an alcoholic, you just wouldn't Put keep alcohol in the house. Now you can order alcohol a new breeze at five in the morning. So it's like you're always in the casino. In this example,
0: it's interesting you talk about casino because you're right. I mean, I think about my day to day. I could order anything I want, and I think that's why I probably bought way too much on Amazon. It feels like a bit of a segue, but do you think the world the way in? there's this sort of drive towards a cashless society. Mm. And it's happening, absolutely it's happening. I read an article the other day about NatWest, I think, who are trying to move away from ATM machines. And if this goes well, then the other banks will, will follow suit. So is it this sort of credit system that's going to be in play where if you have a problem, whether it's an addiction or alcohol or whatever it might be, that the state will kind of come in to say that you're not allowed to do X, Y, Z. Do you think that's the way that things are going and and the liberalism will be attacked?
1: It's interesting because I think that liberalism's Achilles heel is that it can't defend us against ourselves. And let's put it more more like, let's be honest, right? In the blue corner, there's you and you're flipping, you know, your calm.com or your headspace app and your gym membership, right? And in the red corner, there's every company in the world, frictionless, you know, commerce, data scientists, understanding, using algorithms to understand what's, you know, literally like they call the algorithm in Amazon is called destiny. Right? So it goes, oh, you bought some scented candles. You might like this bath salt. Yeah, I do. Thanks. Right? So on the on, you know, this is not a fair fight. It's you on your own being told, "Yeah, you'd be the best version of yourself," and you're trying to be the best version of yourself, and all of the might of every single money-making corporation—I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm a hardcore capitalist, right? Is in the other corner going, "Ah, oh, yeah, try this, do this. Yeah, that one's free, freemium."
0: Da, da, da. It's it's very difficult. It's David and Goliath, isn't it? It is, and we are not Goliath. Not. And we're on our
1: own, right? Because, you know, we've lost that tribal community. But, you know, I live in Dubai right now. There's a lot of benefits to that. But if I think if I think for one second, there's not a lot of detriments to that, I'm not understanding the real equation, right? Because it's those people around you that, you know, I'm here on my own. I can do anything I want. You know, I'll, 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 I will leave a nightclub tomorrow and like three prostitutes will come over and go, hi, right? And I'm now... What what I'm saying is, what type of willpower does it take to be the best version of yourself in the modern world? And this is the modern state of nature. Like, and what's interesting is, liberalism was born out of the state of nature that Thomas Hobbes described as like nasty, brutish, and short. What he basically said was, the Leviathan, the state, has to protect us against each other. So we have to have a system of laws that's enforceable, and all, ultimately by threat, right? Because the reason I don't do or, most of us don't do a lot of things that we might do is because the police will come knocking on the door. So that's a form of threat. That's how you enforce the law. But there's nothing we can enforce on ourselves. We, we are literally in a modern state of nature that is hyper aggressive. And there's no, and we're
0: like fighting with like one and a half hands tied behind our back. Yeah. If you think about the Social Dilemma documentary, I don't know if you saw that on Netflix a while ago, and you look at the people involved, these are obviously kind of whistleblowers now, you know, people who worked for the Facebooks and whatnot, and how they've come out of it and saying actually what we created were de- was detrimental to society. But they are the smartest minds in the world. So if you're, you know, if you're from humble beginnings like you and I and, you know, you say for example, you're not educated, but you've got a decent job and you get your paycheck in and you're getting all these ads being flown at you. How do you deal with the, des- the self-discipline? How do you deal with the desire? I'm actually, it's funny because we're having this conversation now. I've literally bought a book on up on a, a friend's recommendation a couple of days ago called Mindful Self-Discipline. And the irony is it's a gigantic book about 400 pages and it made me laugh and think how many people will actually not read this self-discipline book because it's so big but it talks about desire a lot and about how you control that desire how do you manage it on a day-to-day basis like you're saying you're walking around Dubai and all of these temptations are constantly being you're confronted with these on a day-by-day hour-by-hour basis how do you deal with that because your granddad didn't have to deal with that. Like you said, he probably would have had a few issues with certain vices and things, but we're having that thrown at us constantly.
1: Absolutely. And I think I think um, my brother and I call this willfulness. So we say like, you know, mindfulness, and that, that sounds interesting, that book that you mentioned, but like, you know, I, I was an advisor to Headspace. So for example, Andy and, and and Rich Pearson, who started Headspace, are really good friends of mine. I advised them in the early days you know i literally have had like meditation tuition from andy like who's the guru right and that's great and it's amazing my other mate started calm.com michael acton smith but i'm gonna be honest i don't think you can meditate your way through this problem i don't think that approach we can't given, once you admit what the modern state of nature looks like from your newsfeed, having one in three things being an ad to your, to the ways in which you're being hyper nudged, not just nudged, hyper nudged. Like it's not just a nudge. It's just within the limits of the law, but it's bang all the time. Bang. And I, I work in, I've worked with the biggest brands in the world in marketing. I know how to nudge young people, right? So I've been on the that's I've been in those boardrooms, like literally segmenting audiences going, right, this will be catnip to those. And then you go, okay, so how, would you, how do we escape this? And I've really thought about it. Like, will mindfulness get us – will that get you through now? Nah. You need to do something else. You need to identify amongst all that desire, which let's call it your wants – right? They're very, very transient. They come and go, I want a burger right now. And then I see a pizza and I'm like, oh, I want a pizza instead. I want to, uh, yeah, you know, be with this girl, but then there's another girl and it, it's never ending, right? And so what, if you follow wants and desire, you are fucked. Like that's the definition. I would say it's the modern definition of being illiterate would be someone who mostly acts on what they want.
0: Yeah. It's this sort of stoic versus Epicurean debate, you know, and the Epicurean is like the the YOLO, you only live once sort of idea. Let's just enjoy our spoils today. But there's something to be said for being, for being stoic because I think delaying that gratification has provided me with a lot more satisfaction and pleasure than I could have had just by getting whatever I wanted here and now and having that. Like I, I say to myself, you know what? I love Lind- Lindor chocolate. I'm just going to have it. I'm going to have it once a week, once a week, because it's, it's a lot of diminishing returns as well. If I had that every day, then the satisfaction will, will decrease massively.
1: Me and my brother went deep into this and we started trying to define things as experiential and critical. So you have like critical needs that if you meet them, your life gets infinitely better. You have experiential needs that if you meet them, nothing we call it then what it's like okay great now you've had three bars of lint chocolate then what what's changed like let's imagine like you let's imagine you sleep with the girl that you most fancy and then what fuck all nothing nothing changes you know so so there's the things that change things that's the critical and then there's the things that don't change anything and that's the experiential and the experiential you can tell because it's It's basically, at the moment, you have an urge for it. But once that urge has been sated, nothing's changed in your life. Like you've just eaten some chocolate now or you've just had a good wank or whatever, right? Nothing, Nothing about your life has changed. Where there's a critical desire, a critical need, once you've met one of them, shit has changed. And I would strongly advise anyone listening to this, to really map out what is the critical and honestly write down what the experiential is as well. And the big question with the experiential is, great, imagine I get all of it. And, you know, and here's my honest opinion, I have never in my entire life, and I've tried, had enough of <laughs> you, enough whatever it is, right? So the, the thing about experiential is you know, because it's, an, it's a black hole. It, it's never satisfied, never satiated. Where there's a critical need, once it's satiated,
0: you're like... Oh. Have you got an example of a critical need that you've you've kind of got insight sight or you've just achieved recently? A, a great example was that, you know, my
1: brother and I were really obsessed with this idea of years ago, starting a business in, in artificial intelligence, we were just like, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. We've got to get there. We've got to make it happen. We knew fuck all about artificial intelligence. Like, you know, nothing as much as anyone listening here. And we said to ourselves, we're going to, instead of saying, right, we're going to learn about artificial intelligence and then start a business. We started a business pitched around the place. We didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing, but by creating the company like literally creating the business and telling everyone we were going to do this we it was we had skin in the game it was like shit we got to do it now right and then of course we had our own contracts between ourselves about how much you had to learn and books you had to read and and that that was you know really really helpful that we we forced each other to 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 upskill and but you know yeah and then we sold that company in november last year you know Quite a lot, right? But that's not the point. The point is that now we legit are AI experts at a moment when AI is a good thing, right? Now, who cares about that? But it's it was critical to us at that time to commit to that, and 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 that's the thing. You know, it's like I hate to say it, but like you know, and this is a bit dark, but you know, like if I'm at the end of my life and I'm suffering from like serious dementia, I could be sitting there. I love marshmallows, right? And I could be sitting there eating marshmallows all day. But if I've written a living will when I'm 40 to say that I wouldn't like to continue living, even if you give me a, a, a bowl of marshmallows every hour, then the critical of that living will should override the experiential of me enjoying those marshmallows.
0: I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your brother and how that's evolved over time and how has that changed you as a man by having such a close relationship with him and also the accountability that that breeds for the both of you, for both Martin and yourself. So how has that day, I say that day, but those three days, three and a half days or whatever it was, 73 hours, that you had him holed up in that room as he was producing this A-star stellar Harvard thesis. How has your relationship changed in that time, and how have you changed as a man?
1: Honestly, I think the thing I'm maybe most fortunate for in the world is is that there are a few people in my life, and I think I've got good at identifying these people who hold me to the standard that I wish I always held myself to, but I don't, of course, because all of us have our, you know, and that doesn't mean that I'm not also a complete wreckhead and lunatic. I do that as well, but. I think that I, I, that would have overtaken everything else if it wasn't for certain people. And my brother, number one. And I, and I honestly, me, my brother and I have been thinking about this quite Christopher Nolan. But if you imagine future you, you know, it's like human beings are so selfish, so maximizing in the present moment that we will fuck over everyone, everyone, including and maybe even possibly most of all, ourselves in the future (laughs) right so i think that somebody who loves you critically is willing to help you like see that future you and understand that that future you is pretty in need of your help and that you really do owe future you certain things
0: I loved this idea around the concept of signing a contract with yourself. It reminded me when I went to the Bruce Lee Museum many years ago in Hong Kong and he'd done something similar, and it's always stayed in my mind ever since. It made me think that you yourself are the easiest person to fool. You can make up all sorts of reasons and excuses as to why you don't do something. And the thing that lets us off the hook is we could just be thinking these things and no one else will ever know. But at the end of the day, we know. We know deep down. You can hold someone else accountable through a contract and keep them to it, but it's really difficult to do that to yourself. We can all say that we're going to do something, but to actually do it is a whole different thing. For Martin, having a brother like Mark to hold him to account acted as a walking talking reminder that he had to do this thing, which ended up being incredibly powerful, not just for Martin, but for the both of them. This could have easily been Martin's story from a different perspective. How many times in our lives have we said that we're going to achieve a certain goal or stick to a new year's resolution but we just gave up after only a few months or even weeks? Take me back to an article I read a few years ago, people who joined the gym at the beginning of January have finished by the middle of January, just after two weeks. I think there's a lot of merit in having a brother who's similar in age that can hold you to account better than anyone else can. Because at the end of the day, your love for each other is unconditional. Mark knew that when he let his brother out of the room, he would still love him. He could have knocked him out for what he did to him, but eventually he'd still love him. However, if it had been a friend in there that he just effectively traumatized to get this thesis written, he might have been more anxious about losing that friendship. There's always that brotherly element binding you both together. You can make friends and you can lose friends, but you'll always have your brother. A lot of people make friends at university, but do they really keep them for life? I left university 15 years ago in 2008 and haven't kept up with anyone since. When I hear about the relationship between brothers being really close and having that real closeness in age, I do feel a slight tinge of envy. It must be such an amazing relationship to have when you're both aligned and you can both push each other on to whatever pursuits you're gunning for just knowing that you'll always have each other's backs. Now, do you think you could have done what Mark did for a brother or a loved one? Do you think you could have locked your brother or loved one in that room for that period of time? What kind of man was Mark from the eight types of men that are out there? To me, he's like a mentor on steroids with a dash of nonconformist and protector. To do such an out there thing to help and guide his brother to fulfill his dreams and ambitions, took extreme doses of these. But which type of man are you? Take the man test to find out, it takes less than 3 minutes to complete, and you'll learn a lot about who you really are. The link is in the show notes. I mentioned at the start about us as men caring a lot about financial success. The truth is, we all want to make money and excel in our work but understanding what drives us to our definition of success is important. That's why the team and I have designed a simple, easy quiz that's going to help you learn a lot about yourself and help set realistic targets for success. It takes less than three minutes to complete. We as men can meet incredibly successful, driven individuals, but how we get there is important to understand, particularly for our mental health. Through the man quiz, you'll answer questions about your identity as a modern man. The aim is to better understand who you are to achieve the results you want in your life and work. Click the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.